Hey, 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 welcome to Salvage Souls. I am Reverend Ellington, and it is time for us to get into it. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, well, we like to push the limits. I think the people enjoy the fact that we push the limits. We do not behave, <laughs> as I like to say, and, uh, you know, to those societal norms. And so we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, with the topic. And, and so I'm, I'm not going to get I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I want you to go ahead and um I know you have a particular uh, viewpoint as far as Black Lives Matter go, and I would like you to kind of break that down because uh, you, well, there's two different particular viewpoints that you stress. One, I think we're uh, in line with, and the other one, I just really don't have a position, right? So can you break those down for us? All right. So, you know, for, for some historical context of Black Lives Matter, right? Uh, Black Lives Matter started out as a phrase, right? That we were chanting in the streets uh, during our protest. And what it, what it was designed to express was, look, Black lives do matter, right? And that mm -hmm. you have to acknowledge that. And what happened was an organization was created uh, you know, and the, its foundation was based on that phrase, right? So now we are the Black Lives Matter organization. Now, the issue was, you know, when it was first created, it sounded good, right? Black Lives Matter, we know that. We know the pushback against All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter or, you know, all the garbage we get in, in that with folks being disingenuous and, you know, pretty much overtly racist. But, you know, that's a whole nother thing. But, the origins of the organization to me were far more insidious. Um, and yes, I'm using the word insidious uh, than, you know, people realized, right? And, and even today realize. And so, you know, to give you some historical context, right? And, and I was one that very early on was, was not a supporter of Black Lives Matter. So uh, when it first kind of came out, I was, right? Uh, because I didn't know you know, the background and, and what was behind the formulation of it. Uh, but if in most of the websites uh, have been redacted now uh, to no longer include this, but this was uh, created by the LGBT community, um, you know, black females. And what they were doing was dismantling the patriarchy, right? And, you know, as a heterosexual black male in America, that is watching, right? Black Lives Matter ascend because particularly heterosexual black males are being gunned down in the street, you know, government sanctioned murder, right? Mm -hmm. For uh, another group, a subgroup to create an organization and then say, we want to dismantle the very people that are being murdered is offensive, right? Now, furthermore, as time goes on, and if you've been watching recently in, in the media, uh, they've raised $90 million, to which uh, none of that money has gone to uh, many of those that have been slain across the country. And the fathers of you know some of the slain victims have spoken out and said, hey, Black Lives Matter came into our town, they raised a bunch of money, they took the money out of the town, and then they didn't do anything to help us or to help our cause, right? 
Right. And you find out that some of the leaders of Black Lives Matter are buying multiple luxury homes and having, you know, you know, resorts and, and all this other stuff. Right. And and it's ridiculous. So, again, what you have and I did a podcast last night that went in on meritorious manumissions. Right. Uh, have you heard of that phrase? Uh, meritorious manumissions? No. So meritorious manumissions quickly was an act that was created in the 1700s. And what it was designed to do is a slave could get their, their freedom legally if they saved a white slave owner's life. If they, oh, it's kind of ringing a bell now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they snitched on someone that was trying mm -hmm. to you know, leave or do a, an uprising, mm -hmm. or they invented something that really made it easier for the slave owner, right? Yeah, yeah. So we see that today with our politicians and folks in different organizations where they want those butter biscuits, those meritorious manumissions, and they're going to go along to get along so that they can keep what they have or ascend and try to grab what it is that they want to the detriment of their own people. And that to me is what Black Lives Matter is um, uh, as an organization where it is dismantling, right? the uh, heterosexual black male. And so we're being victimized all over again. And that's what you see, right? So right, you know, right. grants and, and all these other things for black women and everything else. But when it comes to the black male, you know, our illiteracy rates, um, you know, our graduation rates, you know, prostate cancer, you know, all these things, we could just go homelessness, we're impacted more, right? Uh, suicide, uh, police abuse, uh, you know, uh, uh, domestic violence, proxy violence, you know, all these things rape because we're talking about prison, right? Mm. So again, for those of us that aren't killed in the street, well, we're going to jail, right? And we're going to jail for a long time. You are resisting arrest. Do you know what, what time you're getting for resisting arrest on top of the fact of, of why you got pulled over, right? Yeah. So that's like a felony charge, right? Uh, resisting arrest. Yeah, I believe that it is. Yeah. And, and uh, well, in a lot of places, I can't say everywhere, but a lot of a lot of states resisting arrest uh, uh, will land you with a felony charge, which automatically, you know, you're, you're, you're now a second class citizen, which is another thing I think we're going to talk about one of these days is the second class citizens that this country is constantly uh, creating. So with the Black Lives Matter organization, right? Um, and I know, and, I, and that's one of the things I really love about you, you know what I'm saying? You're unapologetically, you know what I'm saying, uh, a strong heterosexual male. And it's like, hey, I'm not going to be ashamed about, you know, uh, being heterosexual. And I think right now, nowadays, you know, uh, there's a lot of stigma where it's like, oh, you can't say you're heterosexual. It's okay to say like I'm LGBTQ or anything else. But like, if you get to like, you know, it's, it's pretty much like being black, you know, now, like I can't be proud of being black, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can be proud of being gay, but you can't be proud of being, you know what I'm saying, uh, heterosexual. I can be proud of being white, but I can't be proud of being black, you know? So um, I, I don't think it's that simple for you because I, I'm listening to what you were saying, but is that one of the problems with uh, the foundation Black Lives Matter is the fact that it was started by uh, the LGBT community? Or is it just the pro, uh, just the exploit exploitation of uh, within their you know exploiting you know our own community for their for their personal gains? Yeah, no, no, it's it's definitely the second, right? So okay. there's nothing wrong with any group 
uh, creating something to support another demographic, right? Obviously, okay. people okay. should be represented, right? If you create Black Lives Matter and your your white folks, probably be a good idea for you to have Black people at the table, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's yeah. do like a general fundraiser. I'm going to fundraise at my Rotary Club, and then we're going to donate that money. Okay, well, you don't really need Black folks in on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But if you're going to create something and leverage that, then it should be in the spirit that, hey, this isn't going to be a money grab for us. Well, hey, we made $90 million and now, you know, we've got administrative uh, cost and people have to manage the money that's coming in. And now you're looking up and you're seeing all these white folks or LGBT community that are not black males, which, you know, this is where, you know, George Floyd's death was, yeah. you know, really sprung this up, right? then you don't see these people represented and being supported in that way. So, so I, hold on. So I was under the uh, uh, assumption that uh, this uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, really started around uh, Trayvon Martin's death. Yeah, yeah and, and that was, okay. it, it, it is oh, okay. than George Floyd, right? It's just yeah, kind of, okay. You know, okay. blown up right Yeah. Now. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's no longer grassroots, right? Trayvon Martin, more grassroots now, yeah. mainstream, and this is where it is. Yeah, but uh, the point, I think the point you're making is that uh, the black, you know, the black male is is the uh, heavy burden bearer of systemic racism. Uh, well, I, I won't say systemic, is the heavy burden bearer when it comes to uh, violent attacks on our community. You know, we don't, we don't see as many violent attacks perpetrated on the black female as we do the black male we're we're the ones more more oftenly beaten or killed than the female right uh yeah not only that right and and you're talking about let's do incarceration right millions versus you know a hundred thousand or whatever the numbers are that, that you know even when you're talking about you know if you're comparing the black and brown community uh, I mean, they just executed a black man where they found evidence that he was innocent, right? Well, he's dead now. So, and you hear every year how many people are being released out of prison after 30, 40 years because of evidence, right? And they're mm -hmm. gone. So you give them a million dollars, whatever, you've destroyed their life for 30 or 40 years. And then they come out and what do they got? What are they going to say? Man, I'm just so happy to be free. I'm just going to live my life and this and that. What are yeah. they going to do, you know? Uh, so, you know, we're incarcerated, we're abused, you know, black men are raped more in this country than any other demographic, but we haven't looked at rape in this country as being men could be raped, only women can be raped. But we see, you know, teachers raping their junior high and elementary school and high school, mm -hmm. you know, kids, mm -hmm. we see, uh, you know, uh, you know, folks, you know, black, black men going to prison for stupid crimes, marijuana, whatever whatever else, getting longer sentences, being hit with felonies, being sexually assaulted in jail and coming out and not having any resources, right? And being damaged and harmed. And we actually laugh at it, right? We make a joke about it. I hope yeah. you go to prison and, and get raped, right? And that's okay to say about a black man in the black man's body, right? But it's not okay uh, in other any other situation. So the violence that we, that are visited on the black man is, is so much, is exponentially worse than any other group, right? And so to create an organization and then omit the same people that you have flourished for is, is 
and like I said, it's offensive. You know, the words that, that I want to use are, are, are much stronger, but I, I don't have the vocabulary right now. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for saving these years. Um, so, all right, we're going to talk about, uh, guys, we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter. And as we go through uh, this particular episode, uh, when Marwan or myself say Black Lives Matter, we are not referring to the organization. We're uh, speaking in literal terms of Black Lives Matter, right? Is, is that fair to say? Fair to say. Okay, so we we just want to kind of make that distinction so that um, there's no confusion as we go throughout. Uh, some of the thank you, uh, thank you, sweetie. Some of the things that. Um, you know, Marwan was just saying as far as the organization is kind of new to me. Um, I, I had like kind of baseline, you know, say understanding of the organization. I have had never myself took in, um, took in a stance one way or the other. You know, like I said, the verbiage, I totally agree with. Black lives do matter. I understand the verbiage. Um, on that, on that level that, um, you know, often gets criticized with the return uh, verbiage of all lives matter. Yes, I agree with that as well, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> and I'm not, we're not gonna get into that uh, whole uh, debacle right now. Um, one of the things you said, very interesting, and I'm gonna look for this story because I read it and I found it appalling. I think my brother uh, actually sent it to me. But there was a, a man that spent, I think, 40-something years in prison. And because of the way that particular state law was set up, he could only be recompensed, I think, for like five years. He ended up getting like $76,000 or something like that. Was that you to share that with me? No, it wasn't. But I'm, I'm oh. shaking my head because there's stories like this multiple times oh. pre Okay. Yeah. I, I, I know somebody shared that with me, but yeah, I was just like blown away. Like you, you literally took in this man's whole life and you give him $76,000 that that's, you know, where's that going to get him? you know, nowhere, but I digress anyway. So we have a couple of, um, stories, uh, that are, have been highlighted this, uh, during the last week or two, right. Uh, around, pretty much Black Lives Matter, you know? Uh, and again, we're not talking to organization people. Um, so let's begin, um, let me see here. I'm gonna pull this, uh, I got a couple of stories open here. Uh, let's, let's start here and we're gonna kind of work our way up. So um, I wanna share my screen with you if uh, possible. Let me uh, kind of get all of these open. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to share the screen so we can uh, kind of get this recorded as well. Oh but God. yes, yes, I am. Um, let's see. Okay. All right. So this story here out of Oklahoma. Um, I got to hit share. Okay. So this story here out of Oklahoma. Um, there, uh, and it says two, here's the headline. It says two Oklahoma boys removed from elementary school classrooms 
over Black Lives Matter shirts banned when the George Floyd case blew up. Now, um, as we was talking last night, I was telling you that I had uh, been seeing an increase of stories and I still have not figured out where I saved them to, but um, I will just generally reference them. <laughs> um, so this story, I've, I've noticed an increase since the Derek Chauvin uh, verdict has come down that uh, school administrations, particularly teachers, have been lashing out on black children over the uh, Derek Chauvin case. And I just see this as an extension to what I've seen. I've seen, um, you know, uh, uh, arts history teacher, you know, uh, fuss at a student and uh, demanded, you know, his black students uh, write letters to defend, um, you know, the position of uh, George Floyd and, you know, just all kinds of heinous things. Uh, so this particular one, we have two children, uh, brothers, uh, Bentley and Rodney Herbert, eight and five years old, uh, says uh, they were removed, removed from separate classes in the uh, school. And um, the superintendent told them that political attire would not be uh, would not be allowed at the school. They were forced to turn the shirts inside out. Um, eventually, uh, they were uh, trying to just kind of skim through this. Uh, that was the first incident, uh, which was on April 30th, uh, when Bentley wore his Black Lives Matter uh, shirt to, to his third grade class. Okay. Um, yeah. And the principal uh, made him turn the shirt inside out, telling him he wasn't allowed to wear it again. Then um, Jordan Herbert uh, went to the school, uh, that's the mom, uh, to find out how her son's shirt violated district dress code. Um, and I'm gonna skip down a little bit, uh, but eventually they were kicked out of school. I'm, I'm not gonna read this whole story, it's from MSEN. You guys can see it, you can find it online. But let's talk about this. You know, why Why are an eight and a five-year-old, um, obviously, you know, the parents are dressing them, you know, especially at five years old, you know, they're they're not buying their own clothes. The parents are buying these clothes, right? So why why is it that these adults feel like they have to lash out at our children, you know, because, you know, who, who are, who are they, um, who are they influencing? Are, are they, are, are they shirts gonna influence their teacher to vote a, a certain way? Because they're saying political attire, right? And that's usually about, you know, swaying a vote or, you know, influencing a, a person's way of thinking, right? So at eight and five years old, who are they going to be around in school to influence um, their voting behaviors, their voting patterns? I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn this over to you and get your, because, uh, you know, you speak eloquently. I, I really love that. So, <laughs> Well, you ain't going to love what I got to say about this. <laughs> hey, well, let me hear what you got to say, bro. <laughs> All right. So, so I'll pose it first with the question, right? Okay. So if this were uh, two white kids that were wearing Make America Great Again hats, would we feel some kind of way about it or would it just be OK? Right. Would it be um, 
for what it, the undertones of what make America great uh, can represent, um, you know, would that be offensive to black Americans, right? Or even to the, the BIPOC community? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so uh, first- I love your smile, um, by the way. You, you like, say that again? I said, I love your smile right now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm finna go there. <laughs> so first, um, this particular incident right here, uh, this isn't, this, uh, what we see happening is a response to what the school did, right? So the community is upset because of what the, what the school did. We have seen white children wear the mega gear to school and weren't kicked out, told they couldn't wear it. We had the one uh, incident that really blew up where the, uh, the white kids were taunting the Native American man who was uh, beating the drum and chanting, and they're just standing in his face, grinning and you know trying to provoke him or whatever else, and they're wearing the MAGA gear at a school uh, uh, sanctioned event, you know, um, they're on a uh, field trip or whatever you want to call it or whatever, you know, so they, they're, they've been allowed to wear their political gear with no backlash. We, we see them wearing the coded gear. Um, what is it? 1913, you know, stuff like that, you know, um, and so forth. And they've been doing this for years. So you wear a shirt, that says BLM or actually says the words Black Lives Matter, how does that become a problem? You know, the difference is, is nominal, if any, but on the same level, the difference is it, it, it's a ravine, you know, it's, it's a huge difference. So I don't think it's so much about the community's response. It's what the, because the, the community's response is to the school, uh, is to what the uh, school did, what the district did. And I think you would see the same response from the white community if their children would have got sent home for wearing the MAGA gear. You know, the parents would have been outraged and, oh, you're discriminating and da 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 this. We'd have seen the same response, you know from their community as well. So then why is it, you know, not okay for these children again, who obviously aren't buying their own clothes? Well, well, let me, so if I may, let me go deep on this one. Okay. Um, so, so a few things, right? And, and I love the fact that you said that the kids aren't wearing their own clothes, right? So, buying their own clothes, yeah. Buying their own clothes. Uh, so as an educator, I don't want this in my classroom, right? This is a distraction, it's a disruption. You have people that are going to be socialized and raised how they're going to be raised, right? So in this particular household, they're raised that Black Lives Matter, right? So they're also mm -hmm. probably raised that MAGA is 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 uh, racist inherently and whatnot. Well, the people in the MAGA household are probably socialized that, well, BLM is offensive, right? And it's against you because it's saying Black Lives Matter, your life doesn't matter disingenuous, not what it means. But again, that's what it is. So when either side puts that into a classroom element, you're going to have a disruption of learning. And so from an educator perspective, no, I, I don't think there's a place for this in the classroom, right? 
Now, to go further, as far as the Black community, we have this tit-for-tat mentality, right? Where it's like, well, the MAGA folks can wear it, and they get away with it, so we should be able to wear it. And so we get, we get caught up into fights that are symbolic, that do nothing to actually move us toward equality and equity and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. So now you've got parents, and I don't know these parents, so I don't want to be, uh, you know, make assumptions, right? Okay. However, what I will say is that we know historically our Black parents are not involved at the school level in our children's lives, right? And a lot of that has to do with latchkey kids, have multiple jobs, right? Just don't have the time. That's how I grew up. My dad was an educator, but again, he was working so hard to take care of us. He, he wasn't going to be on our PTA staff, right? He wasn't going to be a chaperone to any of our events. He couldn't. I think that's I, I'm I'm a I gotta I gotta step in. I think that's you can defend. I think that's stereotypical. Let me, let me get it out. You okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. But but this is this is historic. This is actual data, right? This mm-hmm. is facts. Not all black parents are are in a, not say that all black parents. There is an absence. The percentage of black parents that are involved in their children's. Um, school activities, right? There's a there's an open forum or a board meeting to discuss the issues and you look up and there's no parents there, right? In this particular podcast for The Conduit, you know, I was asked to reach out to our, our, our Black children and create a space for them to talk about how the pandemic and social distancing and not being in class was affecting them. Have you seen that podcast? No. No, because no parents actually came around to the podcast. You see what I'm saying? So when they got the opportunity <laughs> to advocate for it, right? And okay. they don't do it. But instead, what happens is we have folks that are like, you know what? I'm going to put my kid in this shirt and send him to school. And that's my my way of protesting. I'm going to jump on Facebook or YouTube and I'm going to like or dislike or I'm going to say something. And that's my protest, right? And those things aren't doing anything. So if you want I agree, change, I agree, then you need to physically show up and make your voice heard and participate in it. Right. So I agree parents that are sending a five year old and eight year old into battle that they're not equipped for. Right. I and agree. They end up being expelled or expended from the uh, suspended from the school. And now their learning is disrupted and all for what? Because you have the right to put them in a BLM shirt and send them off to school. So I, I do agree with uh, some of your premise there, you know, and and that was my point with the, you know, the eight year old and five year old obviously are not buying their own clothes. You know, they're, they're, they're not going into the store or wherever they got these shirts and and purchasing them. Right. You know, so obviously the parents are, are dressing them and sending them there. Um, I don't know what statistics you're looking at. I don't, I don't you know, I, I have seen you know, um, because I grew up in a, you know, segregated um, city, you know, Chicago, very segregated. And so I, I have seen, you know, my experience with, you know, the black uh, family was, yeah, they, they did participate, you know, but, um, you know, we, we live in a very uh, diverse country. And um, so every population, you know, isn't uh, a true representation of the whole, Okay, so um, and that's why I say that's kind of stereotypical. I'll try to find the stats, but nationwide, the Mm -hmm. percentages of black families that participate in P 
PTA and chaperoning is is not on par with uh, white families, right? And again, mm-hmm. there are factors for that. You know, if I've got to go to another job and I can't get off or I'm not gonna be able to pay the rent, there's nothing I can do. If yeah, I don't have yeah. enough so that my stay-at-home wife can participate in these activities, then there's nothing I could do. I'm not saying that they're necessarily doing something wrong. Some of it is, it, it is what it is. We're just trying to survive. Yeah. But for whatever those reasons are, it is, it is a uh, statistical fact that that is true. Okay. Okay. All right. So now my uh, next uh, part that I was going to kind of talk about um, as far as these shirts goes, right? When, let's say, what was it, the 90s? when we were going to school in the NWA shirts, mm-hmm. you know, no problem with that. You know, we call ourselves the N word and it's like, yeah, okay. You know, that's fine. But, you know, uh, and again, like I said, uh, because my, my, my thing with this story was a continuation of other stories that I seen, right. Um, where we have, um, you know, school officials, you know, white school officials, you know, that are upset about the Derek Chauvin case, and they're lashing out on um, the students, right? Now, I don't know, and I cannot say, you know, however, what I do know is that Black Lives Matter, like you said, really took off uh, around George Floyd. We've seen a lot of apparel, face masks, everything, you know, being uh, sold and distributed with the BLM on it. It is hard to imagine that this eight and five-year-old are the first two uh, African-American children in this school district that has worn BLM attire to school. In fact, if we look right here, uh, in the back of the picture behind this uh, beautiful uh, elder with pink hair, we see this young lady that is also wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. And she obviously looks older, probably, you know, freshman in high school, maybe eighth, ninth grade, somewhere around there. Uh, so it's hard to imagine that these two young children are the first two to um, wear this type of apparel in that school district. And even uh, we see here uh, looks like some white parents in this photograph that are also wearing Black Lives Matter. And we know we have uh, white advocates that, you know, uh, Donna apparel as well, and may have likely sent their own children to school in that type of apparel. You know, my thing is, I feel like these two children are targeted because, like you uh, just said, they're not equipped for the battle. They don't have they 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 do not have the skills to advocate for themselves at five and eight years old, and so I feel like they were targeted. You know, um, we seen a school in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm gonna and and I'm gonna do some I'm gonna do some searching because I got to find these stories again. But um, uh, where's my notebook? 
that's not here. Okay, but we seen a school in Pennsylvania that uh, targeted specifically their African-American students and required them to uh, answer a list of questions around the Derek Chauvin case to advocate, you know what I'm saying, uh, for George Floyd and, and pressured the students to do this. Um, and that kind of blew up. We just seen in New Jersey, you know, uh, same thing happened, you know, this, this older white uh, gentleman, you know, on a Zoom uh, video. So we, we had him recorded, you know, um, uh, attacking, you know, saying his black students over the uh, Derek Chauvin uh, case, you know, and since that verdict has uh, been passed down, I have been seeing an increase of school officials attacking uh, our, our young black students because they're upset about the verdict. You know, and this here, and that's why I say this, I feel like is a continuation because I hadn't, I hadn't seen this type of thing uh, uh, prior to the, uh, to the conviction. And now after the conviction, we're seeing these things. But if I'd have been seeing these things happening, you know, within the last year, then I could say, okay, well, you know, maybe they don't want that kind of, you know, political rhetoric. And that's why I said, you know, we've seen the, the white children that, you know, wore the mega uh, gear and it wasn't a, hey, you know, you can't wear this political attire. And then we also seen, you know, and, and I know for a fact that children wore Black Lives Matter apparel uh, to school. We did not see the backlash, you know. So, again, I, I got I to ask, like, you know, I, I feel like it's an attack on our children. You know, and that's where I see it from. You know, the mother, even in this article, asks, like, you know, where in the dress code is this a violation? You know, so there's nothing in the dress code at this school that says that, hey, this is a violation. So then, you know, what is this really about? And, I, and that's why I say I feel like this is you know, um, racially motivated because people aren't able to handle what happened during the trial. And, well, I, and now I, they're, they're attacking our children. I agree with that. What I would say, Rev, is what, you're, what we're seeing is these schools are a microcosm of the whole of the country, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, if you take Kitsap County, right? Our, our county is three to 4% black. And so in any school, we're, we're gonna be vastly outnumbered. And so we've had our issues in this county uh, with racial, with racial, um, you know, problems, right? And so what happens is, and I think in this case where you have a five and eight year old, right, that comes into the to the classroom, uh, it could have been that particular teacher, right? Uh, what is that, second grade or something like that? Second, third grade. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it could have been the teacher. It could have been the parents of the kids that are that that age that are saying, look, you know, this is the second grade and here you are, you know, putting these, this political stuff in my kid's face and, and I can't learn and I can't do this and that. We know that this, the squeaky wheel gets the oil and if it's a white squeaky wheel, it damn sure gets the oil, right? And so their voices uh, are more powerful than ours in a lot of ways, right? And so, you know, what we saw, I remember when Trump was first uh, elected, 
And I told folks, you know, Trump was going to win. And people were like, oh, no, he's not going to win this, that, and the other. And as soon as he won, it was like everyone came out the closet, right? All of the closeted bigots and racists and everything else is like, oh, hallelujah, it's on. And mm -hmm. over four years, they became more emboldened, right, to do and say whatever they, what they wanted, right? You saw the cops do it. You saw the hate groups do it. You saw individuals do it, right? And so now that you have, you know, the, the, the murder of George Floyd by Derek Chauvin, and then you have the verdict that, that he's guilty, right? There's going to be, look, they've already stormed the Capitol. So if you're willing to storm the Capitol and, and, and you know, be insurrectionist, what do you think they're going to do at the school level with their kids? Right. Because these people were everywhere. Right. They were business owners and lawyers, oh, yeah. and doctors and, and every police officer. <laughs> right. Every sector. And that's why we talk about institutional white supremacy. Right. It is throughout everywhere. You don't need a sheet anymore. You wear a tie and a clipboard and a stethoscope. It, it is what it is. It's everywhere. And it's old and it's young. Right. Because it has continued to be taught. It was just that it was closeted because you had Obama ascend to the presidency, right? And so, you know, and then we also have cancel culture. So you don't want to be canceled. So you do the discrimination, you know, that's more um, uh, not, not, not overt, right? So, you know, you reject the applicant off of some other, you know, reason. Uh, you don't, um, you know, sell the house to this particular person so that you can keep it uh, you know, a white uh, or, or keep it clean or and not destroy property values. You know, we see these things everywhere, right? And so to me, this is just a microcosm of the whole. And this is the, the response, right? We have to be able to fight somehow, some way. And we are going to, BLM is that thing. It is just so offensive and so triggering that it doesn't matter, even if it's a five and eight year old. And here we are having this dialogue and saying, hey, look, this isn't the kid's fault, right? They don't buy their clothes. The parents put them in this political statement and sent them to the school. But now you've got, you know, white adults attacking these children to the point of, you know, expelling them and suspending them from school. They're not learning math. They're not learning English. They're not learning science. They're not learning history. They're not learning financial literacy, right? They're not learning how to read. They're not learning how to write. And this is what's going on with them, right? But the parents have put them in this position. And unfortunately, in our community, we have got to stop putting ourselves into feckless arguments and fights that really steer us away from, you know, uh, actual change, right? So this is what we're fighting is the right to wear a political statement to a school, which now is so polarizing that even many of us in the black community don't even identify with the with the organization. We only identify with the statement. So it's it's problematic. And we have to, you know, this is this is warfare, right? And we know that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And we have to think differently and we have to be smarter. We have to know when they're gonna use, you know, our own arguments against us, right? Well, why do you get to use the N-word and we can't use the N-word? Well, I used it with the G-A and not the E-R, so it's all good. And I was singing it, right? So they, they find all these different things and now we're arguing on whether or not they can use the word and what, what tense they can use the word in when the whole thing is we need to address, you know, uh, qualified immunity. We need to address, you know, dismantling 
you know, these structures of racism and those that uh, are keeping it and upholding it, even those of us that are not in the dominant society because of our meritorious manumissions, right? So to me, that, that's really where it is. It's unfortunate for these children. I do not, you know, to be clear and state it, no, I do not think they should have been kicked out of school. They should not have been suspended or expelled. Um, but I do believe, I mean, at some point, what, what does the school do? So they tell the child or through the parent, please do not send your children here with the shirt on. The parent continues to send the child to the school with the shirt on. So what is the school district supposed to do? Just allow them to come in and sit in the class? Yeah. That's what you think? Yeah. And so then what, the, what does that beget? So the people that are complaining <laughs> about that, right? So now they start wearing KKK shirts to the classroom. Yeah. So that's yeah. what you want. So the, the, to me, what ends up happening is just total anarchy. So now you've got BLM in the classroom. Now you got KKK in the classroom, and there's no learning taking place. We're just we just got a war going on it's in the second grade. So uh, you play chess, right? Oh yeah. Okay. So you understand, uh, you know, uh, 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 sacrificing, you know, certain um, pieces, you know, on the board, you mm -hmm. know, strategic sacrifices, right? You know. So we look at, let me go back to uh, this story, right? right. And that, that was something, um, I don't know if you've seen when I, where I highlighted that at, right? So we have to understand that, you know, like you said, this is a war, right? And so because uh, this is a war, you know, uh, not every single battle is going to be, you know, like, uh, you know, all that important it's not gonna is it you know some battles are just gonna be footnotes some battles ain't even gonna get written down in the book you know what i'm saying it's just that insignificant but in the grand scheme of things in the overall picture of things every battle really does matter you know and some battles yeah we have to learn to concede and just say hey i'm gonna let that one go but this is a particular battle that is it seems uh insignificant and what you do is you let your pawns fight this one so like you said while we're fighting things like qualified immunity reparations and everything else and you got like your 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 rooks and your knights you know what i'm saying battling those out you know what i'm saying over here like you know because there's some quiet work that needs to be done in the background where folk ain't paying attention and listening you know what I'm saying? And, you, you know, so this keeps them just as distracted because everybody's not qualified to, you know, um, be have be a voice in certain fights because they'll do more damage than than harm. Like, I understand my, my role. I'm not the one to send to go and, and argue for reparations. I'm just not that intelligent. You know, I'm not that smart. I'm sorry. I'm going to be quiet on that. I'm going to let some folk that that really, you know, what I'm saying no. Uh, how to make um you know legal arguments and so forth make those type of arguments you know this particular argument though is more than just a shirt because when we begin to what it is is about allowing them to silence us you see this part right here back in uh 69 uh 
students, you know, had to uh, sue about wearing black armbands over the uh, opposing the Vietnam War. The Supreme Court already made a ruling on this, you know, saying that uh, schools can't stop students from their constitutional right of free speech. And that's what saying Black Lives Matter is. It's their free speech. It's a right to their free speech to say and believe whatever they want to. So while this, you know, saying noisy, you know, uh, argument that really, like I said, is just a lot of fodder. But, you know, saying while that's going on, we have more intelligent people making more, you know, saying substantive moves, you know, in the community that um, now they're not paying attention to either. Because we're going to have those of us that, you know, going to pay attention to, you know, these little small things and they're going to rah, rah, like you said, I did my, um, you know, I did my Facebook post and that's my protest. And, you know, I uh, sent my kids with the shirt on. That's my protest. It's creating, you know, saying uh, chaos and, and havoc where even they are occupied, their minds, some of their better minds now are occupied on something that, you know, they're not really finna do nothing about. The Supreme Court already ruled on this, you know? So you wanna go to court on this, that's fine. You know, let's waste your time and your money. The Supreme Court didn't already ruled on this, you know, and we're gonna waste your better minds while, you know, people like, you know, uh, uh, Cornell West and Dr. Clark and, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Anderson and people like that or whatever, you know, they're thinking on and working on reparations and they're working on, you know, uh, moving us forward in society because they have, you know, the better minds to do that type of work. You, you get what I'm saying? I do. Like, you're saying two things here. So on the, yeah. on the first hand, I agree with what you're saying, right? So if you're talking about the Supreme Court ruling and you're talking about the rule of law, then yes, they should be able to wear it. Um, but if that is the case, then, you know, uh, kids can come to, to to school with, you know, free Derek Chauvin shirts on there and Blue Lives Matter, right? And, Indeed. And what we're saying, what I'm saying is, in most of the places where this happens, right? This isn't going to happen in the in the school you grew up in, segregated Chicago, right? Because it's predominantly black, right? Yeah. But that would happen in schools where it's not predominantly black, where we are three and four percent, and now we're watching. 20 or 30% of kids walking around with free Derek Chauvin shirts, right? And so now kids who are not equipped to deal with that, right? And they're at school to try to learn and we're already fighting from behind now has to take this on at the same time. And so when you talk about the fodder, yeah, I, I think we see the fodder as two different things. You're saying, you know, hey, we can tie them up in the court so we could do this and we can do that. I say it's a failed strategy because the fodder is our children, right? The fodder mm. are parents that are raising the children and now our children are being taught to fight by saying, you know what? The only way that we can win is to get down in the muck and roll around. And while we're rolling around doing this, the very few of us are here doing some higher level work, right? Now, Dr. Claude Anderson and some of our... Uh, our most beloved champions and heroes, right? They're old, they're getting ready to go. So who is the next generation of the Dr. Andersons and this and that? Well, it was supposed to be our children, but right now they're in a proxy battle because they're wearing a BLM t-shirt, right? And they're not learning about financial literacy and economic freedom and sovereignty and all these other things that are gonna pull them out of their situation, right? So to me, I, I just feel like, 
you know, it, it is a strategy and it does work and it does tie it up. But remember, you know, they, they still outnumber us, you know, even though the, the uh, dominant society is what, 55% of the, uh, of the nation, we're 13. And so we, we can't match that in a, in a numbers battle. So for the few, because not all of the 55% of the dominant society is racist and ignorant and all that, let's say it's, let's say it's 13%, just to, just to give a nice little number, right? So they have enough to offset us right there, right? Well, the other 20% that are up there, they're going through and they're making, you know, voter suppression laws and everything else, right? And so we're still losing. In case in point, you know, just to go back where you were saying you disagreed with the parents not being involved in their in their kids' lives. I give you a political example, right? So when Obama uh, was elected, black folks came out in droves. Get out to vote. This and that is our first black president. And, and we did. And mm -hmm. then what happened when it came to midterm elections? Black mm. people stayed home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it was like, well, it's just not as important because it's not Obama. So we're not going to do it. The same thing is likely to happen here in two years. They're already losing ground in Georgia. So why does it take if we're living in this racist society of Trump, right, in the era of Trump and as bad as it was, why did we have to have black folks come in and just go crazy and, and uh, fight like hell to get folks to come out to win Georgia? Yeah, you yeah. shouldn't have had to have done that. Right. And so you had to do that just to barely squeak by and to get there. And it's already being eroded 100 days in. And so, you know, that that's why I say black people aren't engaged in the Facebook things and this and that. What it does is it continues to socialize us and to teach us to fight in ineffectual ways. Right. Instead of saying, you know what, don't put the shirt on. And instead of now you're taking off work or you're after work and you're tired and you got you and your kids sitting out here saying, we should be able to wear our shirt. No, now we're all in a meeting learning financial literacy. We're all in a meeting, figure out how, you know, those of us that are stay at home maybe could take care of our kids. So now we can save that money and invest that money because it's not, we're not spending $1,500 a month in childcare, right? Maybe the, the ones that are smarter can give us some tutoring in English and math because we have it there and we don't have to pay the 15 or $20 an hour or stay after school, right? And so now we've got that mentorship and that sense of community and we can do those things and that time is, is used in a more productive manner. And now we can be taught on how to truly invoke change, right? So instead of you wearing a shirt and protesting, you're going to learn how to be a, a community leader. And you're going to be an alderman and you're going to be a council person and you're going to run for office and you're going to sit on committees, right? You're going to do those things and we're going to teach you how to fight their battle so that you beat them at their own game. That, that's my thought. I concede. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, well argued. I do concede. No, I, I, I see that. I see your point in that. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't argue with that, that logic. That very well uh, stated. I do concede to that, uh, to your point on that. However, I do believe, you know, um, that, yeah, we still should be able to wear uh, our BLM, you know, shirts without um, having to, you know, face backlash, you know, because somebody's angry over a court trial. But I do, I see where you, I see where you're coming from. And I, I concede to that. 
I agree. Both things can be true, right? Yeah. There, there yeah. Should, there's a there's a better way to fight, and we should be able to wear the t-shirt, right? Both things can be true at the same time. It's just we end up getting caught up in, you know, all right, we're gonna we need to tear down this racist statue. No, we need to get rid of qualified immunity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the whole the whole statue thing I never really got, you know, it was like whatever, they've been up for whatever it, you know, yeah. Some, yeah. rights huh what's that statue doing to your rights yeah Most, you don't even see it anymore it's like something on a bulletin board you walk past it every day someone pop, post up something new you don't even read it it's just yeah hey, my, my thing what what it was uh you know when that whole argument started the statue argument started coming out i was like look why are y'all tripping they should put up more of them because birds like to use them for toilets. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, put up a couple more, <laughs> you know, and let them get pooped on. Look, the bums at night like to go and use them for toilets. The birds use them for toilets during the daytime. Like, yeah, I don't care. Okay. My race in my face. Let me know that you don't care about me. Don't smile. Oh, yeah. Shake my hand and then stab me in my back. So, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'd rather know where you stand than for you to act like it's something else. And so oh yeah, the era of Trump was was great, and I and you and I disagree on this, but I think another four years would have been fantastic because we're not awake yet. We just want to go back to sleep, right? Yeah, yeah. As a, as a whole, not all yeah. of us, but yeah. not enough of us yet are like, you know what? We're we're done. That's enough. And yeah, I think um, thirty days of him was too much. <laughs> yeah, but um, I do appreciate the fact that yeah, it did. Um, bring a lot of those closet racists out of the closet and um you know they're 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 out and they're moving about now which is good because I, i'm in agreement. i like to know where you stand at and i i can respect you for that you know and i think we we've uh said we discussed that before i can respect uh your races that's fine let me know that but um i guess that kind of transitions into the next story that i have for us to talk about Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to share this. We're going to watch a um, quick. Uh, oh, hold on. I didn't share it. I clicked too soon. Um, I'm going to share my screen again. We're going to watch a quick YouTube video. And I want to get your uh, thoughts and opinions on this particular story, because the racists are out of the closet now. Um you know, uh, I think you were just saying how we see um, how we seen, you know, uh, all kinds of people at the Capitol on January the 6th, including law officers uh, from right here in this state in Washington and uh, our uh, neighboring state, uh, Oregon, which is where this particular story is from. And so let's watch this real quick, and then um, maybe you can give us uh, your thoughts on this. Sure. Or excuse me. Uh, hold on. Uh, we started in a little soon. Sorry. Okay. Fair use. New at 630, a Forest Grove police officer is facing charges after the Washington County Sheriff's Office says he destroyed Halloween decorations at a stranger's home while off duty. Earlier today, Fox 12's Kendra Kent spoke with the family involved. They say the suspect terrorized them in the middle of the night and even tried to kick in their door and fight with them. She joins us live tonight with their interview. Kendra? 
Well, Pete, the woman says that this happened early Halloween morning and that at the time she had no idea why this suspect was even targeting her home, but she thinks later when she found out more about the case that it had to do with her Black Lives Matter flag that was displayed on her garage. This is Officer Stephen Teets. This photo was, or excuse me, uh, we we know that this was Officer Stephen Teets. He was cited by the Washington County Sheriff's Office and charged with second degree criminal mischief and second degree disorderly conduct. The Forest Grove man involved says they woke up in the middle of the night to their truck alarm going off. And then they saw a man banging on their Black Lives Matter flag. They say when they confronted him from their doorway, he ran at them. So they shut the door and locked it. That's when the family says the suspect started kicking their door, trying to open it and yelling at them. They say that he then destroyed their Halloween decorations and patio lights. They called 911 for help and said the man then took off. Morella Castaneda said it was a tough for her to find out whether police ever found the suspect or made an arrest. And she says she only found out the suspect was a cop after she later Googled his name. She told me the experience was terrifying and not knowing what was going on made it much worse. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Salvage Souls brought to you by Resurrected Worshippers Disciple Making Media. Be sure to visit our website to get into it.org. Link is in the description. Support this and other content from Resurrected Worshippers for as little as 99 cents a month. This has been my rant, my rave. I never come to behave.